Welcome to Thought Straight, a therapeutic release podcast. I am your host, Holly Michelle, blogger, entrepreneur, aspiring life coach, and nurse. This podcast is about addressing issues, hustle, perseverance, manifestations, and making things happen on our own terms. In the end, how do you want to be remembered? Because we have a choice. It's up to us. We are not our pain. We are not our trauma. And we are not our circumstances. They are a part of us. So join me as we create a better life for ourselves on our own terms. within this podcast please 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 go see a professional okay do not by any means ignore any professional information or advice given to you based off of what you hear on this podcast if if anything i'm going to give you as a suggestion as a person who is in the medical field you need to always be your own advocate at all costs every single time everyone does not always have your best interest at heart and so you have to be the one that has that at all times if that's any advice I can give you, that advice I'm definitely going to tell you. I tell my family that, I'm going to tell you that. Always be your own personal advocate. Don't wait for somebody else to come through and push the way that you feel like somebody else should be pushing. Just because people work in that field does not mean they have the obligation to cater to you. You know, um, just to get off subject real, real quick, a long time ago I learned that, quote unquote, customer service is not an American tradition. So sometimes when we be thinking, oh, that person is so rude. In America, you gotta do this, this, and that. It is not an American tradition. It did not start here. So, you know, when people get all up in arms about it, I just be like, you know what? You really should expect it. Now, I mean, we, we want what we want, but in all honesty, it didn't start here. So I don't really expect that from anybody. Just like I don't expect for a doctor to hear me hear my cries and do exactly what I need them to do. No. I know that at a certain point, especially because I'm a black woman, and the way they already categorize us and how they look at us, we definitely have to push the envelope ourselves. So, like I said, if there's any advice I'm going to give you, I'm definitely going to tell you to be your own advocate. Now we're going to get on into our part two of trauma. Um, So, with trauma, including one-time, multiple, or long-lasting Differently. The impact of trauma can be subtle, insidious, or outright. 
quite destructive. How an event affects an individual depends on many factors, including characteristics of the individual, the type of characteristics of the event, developmental processes, and the meaning of the trauma, along with social cultural factors. Now, although reactions range in severity, even the most acute responses are natural responses to manage trauma. They are not a sign um, of psychopathology. So, I wanted to touch on the very last piece of it. A lot of times, people are reacting to trauma, depending on really if you are not so much if you know the reactions, if you understand what's going on, or you know, if you familiarize with it enough to understand what's going on. I think it really depends on how much a person cares about you in your reactions, because a lot of people don't invest that much, um, you know, in into people see certain behaviors and I'm gonna try to make a little bit of sense of that I'm gonna give an example even though um, I try not to give a lot of examples outside of myself not right now because I haven't asked for permission now with my sisters they don't care um, with anybody else I have an example about I'd rather ask them first before I give them as an example but I'm gonna give one in regards to someone that is my family that they they do know of this um, who went through a trauma similar to mine and her reaction to her trauma was the total opposite of me. And I always bring it up in a conversation because it is very interesting how she responded to her trauma, which is the exact same as mine, and how I responded to mine. The reason why it's interesting is because in all honesty, even though we had the same exact trauma, our responses were different to the trauma, our coping skills were different, and our environments were different. So because of her particular environment, which was less caring, less supportive, um, she was literally alone in her whole experience. Her reaction to her trauma led into being very promiscuous. Um, a lot of uh, trouble with the law, just the total opposite of me. Like, if I were to have responded the same way she did, being that I had a mother who was very strict, very loving, but in her own particular way, I had sisters that looked up to me, I had a dad, he wasn't so much there, however, he was still there. I had grandmothers, I had aunts that loved me to death. So if I were to have responded the same way she did in her coping, they would have honestly looked at me like, go get her some help. That is what I mean by, I wanted to, to, to tag team the very last part of it where it is um, their natural responses, okay? However, depending on your social, cultural um, surroundings and the individuals who know you, um, everybody is not so into that unless they actually care. So with her, nobody paid attention to her reactions. Nobody paid attention to her responses. No one paid attention. So she continued to do it over and over and over again because no one at any point 
stopped her. No one at any point said, hey, what is going on? No one. So her response to not having the kind of support and care that I had was that, you know what, what's the harm in me doing something else because no one's paying attention. So I think when it comes to trauma and the response people give, you know, it's really important, you know, if you are, even if you're dealing with somebody you have no um, in-depth knowledge about, let's say you met them, you know, in the instances where you dealt with them and talked to them, hey, they were, you know, they seemed cool. But, you know, after, after a course of a month or two, some things have changed and you notice that, you know, don't look at it as, okay, you know, especially in, in that kind of instance, you know, you would have to think something has to be going on. You know, I'm an introvert. I like to say I'm an exo introvert, um, <laughs> an extrovert introvert, I'm both. However, I'm thinking... I'm very much more an introvert. I do like people, but I don't like people. So there's that. So when I, because of the fact that I'm able to hold conversations with anyone, I am friendly to a certain extent. That's the reason why I'm so much more introvert than I am extrovert. Everybody does not deserve my energy or my space. Because of how I am, I tend to take time away from people. Now my circle around me is is a constant. They never go anywhere. But in the case that I need to take time for myself, if I disappear for a while, they understand exactly who I am and what I need. So if I disappear and my phone is not being blown up as if I have had a car accident and I just am not reaching out to anybody, they understand. So I'll get a check-in message. Hey, I haven't heard from you. You okay? You all right? Or, hey, I love you. Just want to let you know. They know me. So when I have changed behavior, they do pose the question, hey, Holly, are you okay? So in the case that you know someone and their behavior has slightly changed, understand that people tend to, before they reach out, they tend to try to internalize and understand what they're going through first to a certain extent because you not we can't always understand what we're going through we don't understand always what has triggered us to go into this mindset or this need for silence or isolation if you encounter that with someone that you love that you have concerned that you care about pay attention even if you don't say anything on the first day you notice it continue to pay attention if it seems to be a trend or if it seems to be worsening or it's not changing check in on them you know don't look at it oh well you know we characterize a lot of things so much you know nowadays it could be a child acting out and you know it's important me saying this because of the fact that what i'm saying to you guys with trauma there are a lot of indications and many of the indications are indications of other things that could be going on with them outside of it actually being a trauma you know there could be just depression um isolation in itself is a um reaction for other things that be going could be going on it's also a reaction for other things that 
a person may want to do. So it's important that, you know, if you care, pay attention enough to not be afraid to ask because you care. At least if if I'm caring about somebody, I'm going to pay attention enough to say what I need to say. A couple of, I'm going to name a few of the coping styles. Um, coping styles vary from action-oriented to reflective and emotionally expressive to reticent. Clinically, a response style is less important than the degree to which coping efforts successfully allow one to continue necessary activities. So essentially, no matter which coping style you use, it really in all honesty does not matter as much as the result of what you decided to go with. So if your coping style is meditation, as long as that gets you back to normal activity, that's all that matters. That is all that matters. We want the coping style, again, like I said, to allow one to continue necessary activities, regulate emotions, sustain self-esteem, and maintain and enjoy interpersonal contacts. Interaction, correction, initial reactions to trauma can include exhaustion, confusion, sadness, anxiety, agitation, numbness, disassociation, physical arousal, effect. Now, my choice, my first initial reaction, because it wasn't a choice, um, well, let me take it back. I'm going to say, I'm, I'm going to say it was a choice, because it was, um, but it was really the only choice I thought I had, because I feel like I didn't have anyone to tell. So my first reaction was disassociation. Actually, I was very closed off. I decided that the safest way for me to stay safe was to just disassociate with um, the individuals around me, especially male counterparts. Um, also, my mom. The, the only people that I would associate with were my sisters. I disassociated from adults because I felt like they did not protect me. Um, and I became numb. My numbness came in the sense of coldness where I just didn't like anybody. I didn't want to be around anybody. I didn't like, I didn't trust, I, I didn't like anybody. So I was cold, I was mean, I was cold. It became worse as I got older because of the fact I was a child when it happened to me. So I didn't understand numbness to that extent. But when I got older, I totally understood what numbness was. I totally understood what it meant to isolate or disassociate myself. There are some delayed responses that you can have to trauma um, that can include persistent fatigue, sleep disorders, nightmares, fear of reoccurrence, anxiety, focused on flashbacks, depression again, and avoidance of emotions, sensations, or activities that are associated with the trauma even remotely. 
received an email that gave some tips that you can use to focus on um, if you are wanting to figure out things for yourself or you're wanting to help someone else get to the bottom of their trauma or to get to their healing. The first one that was suggested was um, to frame re-experiencing the event. Um, if you have any issues tied to hyperarousal, um, sleep disturbances, or physical symptoms, um, these are all reactions to extreme stress. Now, let me say this. When I read that very first one that I just explained, um, re-experiencing the event, in my last podcast, I explained that my therapist put me through that. That was her first um, work for me, making me go back through the trauma, write myself a letter to let me know that it was not my fault, and to basically make the child in me feel safe so the adult in me can grow. And I explained in my podcast that that was not a that was not a fun experience. It was hard. It was hard reliving it. It was hard going through it. Now, did it help? Yes. However, it was difficult. And I said before that it's hard for people to face things that they have decided to just bury. It's hard for them to bring it back up and then to actually face it and then actively work to overcome it. So most people, just like me, we decide to bury it and we think that we've moved forward because we are saying, hey, we forgave or we are over it. You know, things that, you know, we, we we summarize things even though we can't say, okay, I couldn't say I'm over it as well as say, I'm saying I'm over it. However, I still have a complex about men staring at my body, but I'm, so I'm not over it. <laughs> um, that was my reality like you know how can you be over when you still can tell everybody how great you look but you're still afraid to show yourself because you don't want to see or have the reactions that you did during that time frame from the time when it happened to as you got older and you your mindset was still stuck on that's all men worry about because you were still being triggered by your trauma and that's one thing that I didn't want to face it's one thing I didn't want to look at you know my therapist at a certain point while I was um re-experiencing the event she had told me that at a certain point when I was gaining weight that my gaining of my weight was my protection so I at a certain point felt like if I was fat that men wouldn't look at me (laughs) I was listening to her like, girl, bye. <laughs> but let me say this. In all honesty, when I broke it down, when I looked at it, I could see it. The only issue was, the reason why I initially laughed at it was like, uh, girl, I had me some weight on me, but I still had a Coke bottle shape, boobs, small waist, big thighs, hips, and a ass. I still have that. Now, do I love it? I love myself, okay? Um, do I still like getting looked at, gawked at? No, I do not. Do I like whistles? Do I like people touching me without permission? Hell to the no, because you don't have permission. But am I so affected by it now as I was before? No, I'm not. Um, but again, the re-experiencing was helpful. It just was painful. 
the next tip that um, they suggested was to research treatment and wellness activities, both of which can improve psychological and physiological symptoms. Uh, for example, they gave therapy, which is one, meditation, exercise, or yoga. I do yoga. I love doing strength training. That's one of the things I love. But I don't really do that just because of trying to overcome trauma. I try to keep myself busy. Um, I'm a mover and a shaker. So essentially, sitting still is nothing that I often do. And I don't entertain myself just by way of activities all the time. It could be reading, and reading can, can be considered an activity. Um, it could just be laying down and listening to music. I just entertain or I occupy my time as much as possible. But again, I'm saying this, it, this is not in regards to trauma. Now, when I was going through my trauma from childhood to um, high school, my activity, my treatment was music. I would um, immerse myself, I'd put in my headphones, I would dip off and just listen to music for hours and hours and hours. You will find me doing that from time to time now. Now, I'm not going through a trauma right now. However, I'm just so accustomed to doing it that sometimes when I do have my own personal downtime, I will just sit and listen to music. I will listen to music, I will write me some poetry, I will um, make a story, I will draw, I will do any of that to music, but I'm just so accustomed to it from doing it for so long during that time frame that it's just something that soothes me. So that could be something that, you know, you might be doing now, um, getting lost in music to get away from things. I did that when I was younger. Now my music is not to get away. It's just to enjoy it. The next suggestion given was normalize trauma symptoms. Um, I think that's a good one for everybody, not just people who are going through trauma, because I don't think we have an issue when we're, when we're the ones going through, we don't have an issue with looking at our symptoms as normal. We think it is exactly what we're supposed to do because we are the ones going through it. We don't even think about it being right or wrong. We just, it's our symptom, it's our response, and that's that. One of the last ones that they gave, which I think is a very good one because I'm going to say with myself, I, like I said, I didn't have the support that I felt like I should have had. With that being said, I did have my sisters and they were like a backbone that I didn't need, but I had. The last suggestion was is to support your friends or find support you need via a friend therapist or a group and if you are helping a friend provide a message of hope they are not alone they are not at fault and recovery is possible and anticipated like I said I had my sisters so initially I told my middle sister we're about a year and six months apart and when I came to her with it she was like girl uh-uh we got this they ain't gonna do it no more they ain't gonna try it again because I'm gonna be right there that's what she would be like I'm gonna be right there so that support that was so strong we were little when I say we're little five and six we were little so having that support not having a clue but knowing hey we ain't taking no shit I was like hey I got this and I really did after that point even though I still tr it was a lot of triggers and things that would come back and resurface 
I had it because after that point, it did not happen, you know, in that it didn't happen again with that individual. So it was helpful to have that. Then when I got older, you know, my youngest sister, she literally is like the <laughs> the bully of the group, but she definitely also had, you know, my back, you know, her having my back was also trying to make sure I was okay, I was healing, so and so on, you, and she could only do so much, however, she had my back, and having that support that you need in those times are, is very, very important, so if anything, that is, a, that, that particular suggestion is great, if you know someone who's going through something, be there for them as much as you can. We, you cannot heal that person. Nobody could heal me. Nobody could make me heal. Nobody could get me to the point where I had faced it and I was headed towards a, a new direction. Nobody can make me get to that point. I had to do it myself. But you can definitely support your friend or family member as much as you possibly can take. I would never suggest for you to overload yourself with trying to be the backbone, the legs, the shoulders for another person because that's too much for one person's shoulders. But whatever support you can give, it does not have to be a ton. I'm, I'm guarantee you, sometimes with some people who are going through something and you don't know, a simple text of good morning, um, a funny meme, a voice message with just a message of hope and affirmation or something just positive will probably make their day or make that next hour or two anything because for me like I said it was everything and it was a simple message and we were young even as an as an adult or in my teenage years when my little sister tried to give me what she needed that was helpful even if she couldn't get me to the finish line she still was there as I was going to it so just having that support was important having that support. Well, that is the end of our segment. Episode 3, Part 2, Trauma. If you still have questions in regards to trauma, please feel free to post them on Instagram, Twitter, DM me on Instagram, or send me an email via Michelle at thoughtstraight.com. You can find my information in the description box of the podcast, um, Apple, Spotify, Google. It's about everywhere. So 